1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I'd like to open this episode by thanking Kevin McCarthy. Please do. Okay, thank you Kevin McCarthy for announcing your retirement from Congress on Wednesday morning like a petty little drama queen. Thus, taking the petty little drama queen mantle away from former New York State rep George Santos. I was done with George Santos. That guy's so boring. He jumped the shark like... Fonzie with a jetpack, like yeah. Oh,
0: good reference.
1: Thank you. But it was it, I, he was getting so tiresome, and Kevin Kevin comes in saves America from a whole other cycle of Santos. Right.
0: We did not get Wednesday.
1: We did not get Wednesday. Kevin Kevin knew we were recording this morning, and he released his little op-ed about how he how he's retiring at the end of the year, at the end of the month. So, just petty. In time. Just in time.
0: so petty, just So petty, just bringing time. the majority in Congress down to two. I, I think it's two. I love that for Mike Johnson.
2: I love it for him.
0: Fun episode
1: today, Alyssa. Let's I had it. a great time. I did too. We kept it lean, kept it tight. We get into moms for liberty. The <sighs> not all
0: moms, not really for liberty.
1: Yeah, not not that many moms, not that much liberty. It turns out we're going to talk a little bit about that organization and what they're trying to do and what we think they're actually, actually trying to do. And then uh, we talk a little bit about some of the news out of Washington, Kevin McCarthy, mm-hmm. et cetera. Bye, we don't even. I, you know what I'm so glad about? What? We didn't even really talk about George Santos that much.
0: Because uh, s- he's gone
1: forever. We never I'm have so to talk sick about of him again. Him. I'm so sick of him, and I'm so glad we don't talk that much about George Santos this mm-hmm. week. We also have a really interesting interview with... Jamie Manson from Catholics for Choice, which is a interesting organization. Very, especially around the holidays. Mm-hmm. I can't. You you're gonna love what she has to say about Mary because it's very good. <laughs> um, and then we get into a little bit of I feel petty. We're both petty this week, much We're like both Kevin petty McCarthy this week.
0: And we did uh, we did a toast and a troast. Little toasty, a troast. little roasty.
1: Little toasty, little roasty, like a s'more at the end of news.
0: Yeah.
1: You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who would rather die than imagine having a threesome with a founding member of Moms for Liberty. (laughs) Cosign. Oh, my God. Alyssa, when I tell you that I was working on the outline before I went to bed last night, and so Mm -hmm. this was incorporated into my dream, I had a dream that I was barefoot in New York City. Mm. And I had to— And I was looking at my— my calendar, and it was like, I have to go meet with Moms for Liberty, and I was like, do they think they're going to have a threesome with me? Because they're not. Uh, menage for me, but not for thee. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, man, there's like a few gross news stories this week. Uh, we're going to get more into Moms for Liberty. It's more than just a threesome. It's also that they're total fucking assholes. But let's talk a little bit about Kevin McCarthy, really. Kev. 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 Bye, Kev. So Alyssa, as a pettiness expert, what exactly about Kevin McCarthy announcing via an op-ed, I think, in the Washington Post, mm. what what is what makes his move on Wednesday so petty?
0: Well, he's like burning the whole house down, Erin. You know, when Nancy Pelosi decided not to be speaker anymore, she still stayed as a rank and file member. Kevin proves to all of us he has never, ever been excited about being a rank-and-file member, about representing his district. He was always in a to-be leader, which is why it took him, what, like 15 or 17 tries to actually get it done and, you know very little time to be undone. And the pettiness goes to the fact that he's screwing his whole party by doing this. He could have served out the rest of his term, but instead he said he's leaving at the end of the year, which means, Aaron that the uh, Republican majority will be down to two now that Santos is gone, which seems difficult.
1: I'm sorry. Like, okay, we talked about this off mic, but we need to develop a matrix system where one axis is on one end is funny and one end, the other end is not funny. And then the other axis is bad for America and good for America. Because this is so funny and bad for America.
0: Right? It's, an upper, it's an upper right quadrant.
1: It's funny and, and bad for America.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, Mike Johnson, yikes. Good luck. bro. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I get the impression that Kevin McCarthy doesn't like Mike Johnson. Going to go out on a limb here. And say that I think I he. I think you
0: might be right, Erin. Mike Johnson. Who knows? Maybe he was. Maybe we'll find out he was behind the Kevin coup to begin with.
1: That would be funny, but I don't think he's got. I don't think he's he's got the like mental capacity to scheme like that. It's it fair would, enough. You know who I think does, and this is just me like acting as though I'm writing on a show about this because mm-hmm. you know reality is never as good as like Succession. But if this were like Succession or Veep or something, it would be Liz Cheney who was behind all of it
0: also entirely possible having a big week
1: <laughs> having a big week um i my first thought when i saw that kevin mccarthy was retiring at the end of the month was that liz cheney's new book that just came out this week was so mean that he just couldn't even he just couldn't face his colleagues just, anymore she
0: made him cry uncle he was like all right enough already i'm going <laughs> jesus liz's revenge
1: liz's revenge okay so There's a debate on Wednesday night. We're not going to be able to talk about the debate because it's Wednesday morning. I mean, we can talk about it. It's going to be, I don't know. Did you feel like... The same? Yeah. I mean, don't you kind of feel like you're a Roman in a coliseum watching, like, the B-team of gladiators fight?
0: Without question, Aaron. I mean, it is like Trump is not there and who it's down to, Nikki, Ron, Vivek, and Chris, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the four of them? Just the four, yeah. the
1: I don't i The, the thing is, like, it, it just feels very much like political watchers are just sitting there like, amuse me, amuse me.
0: Right. Like, you've promised me debates. You must give me yeah,
1: debates. Yeah. Perform, <laughs> perform. And it's like none of these people are going to be the nominee, most
0: likely. I mean, most likely not, unless something fairly catastrophic, cataclysmic happens in the next
1: Two months. Look, this has been an era of cataclysm, so don't put it past right. Reality. That's why we.
0: That's why we caveat. There's, yeah. there's a chance. Something there's very chance.
1: something very weird could happen, and one of those four people on stage could end up being the nominee. But it would have to be exceptionally weird. It would have to yeah. be. uh But yeah, there's there's a debate. um But I really wanted to take some time since we can't really get into what. Stupid stuff was said in the debate. I wanted to take some time to go into a sort of like, I guess, a new power player in politics uh, that are deeply annoying um, and deeply fascist. Uh, yeah. So let's let's get into this. We've talked about them before. We've heard about them in the news. They are Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty representing one of two genders in the Republican Party: moms and boys. Proud yeah. boys. <laughs> And Moms for Liberty. Um, Moms for Liberty, according to their mission statement, um, welcomes all that have a desire to stand up for parental rights at all levels of government. Can't you just tell that this mission statement was like— Yeah. It was done in a focus group. They focus grouped the fuck out of this, and the people who were doing it were like political consultants who are definitely not moms, like standing behind—
0: as many of the moms for liberty are also not moms.
1: Many of the, yeah, many of them are not moms, nor do they actually want liberty. It's a very ironic name. Um, the founders, according to uh, according to the mission statement, is the founders are moms on a mission to stoke the fires of liberty. Hmm. Hmm. You're going to throw books in that fire, moms? <laughs> <laughs> uh, as farmer sc- former school board members, they witnessed how short-sighted and destructive policies directly hurt children and families. Now they're using their firsthand knowledge and experience to unite parents who are ready to fight those that stand in the way of liberty. So here's something that I was surprised to learn about hmm. Moms for Liberty. It wasn't founded until 2021.
0: Yes. I know. You know what? It is very funny. When we were doing that, I did not realize that they're essential— the kernel that they organized around was really masking in schools. It was, yes, exactly. But in 2021, that was, like,
1: the one thing that Republicans are like, oh, we have, okay, this is, like, a winner. Yeah,
0: Yeah, people are annoyed by masks. Let's dig in. People are annoyed
1: by masks and school closures and sort of disarray around, like, How who's going to look after these kids? Like in Virginia, we saw it with Governor Youngkin got elected essentially on parents being like, the fuck, guys, you can't just keep jerking us around like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Moms for Liberty tried to pick up that football after the whistle was blown and run it all the way to the end zone and then do a touchdown dance and uh, hasn't quite worked out the way they've wanted to um, but according to the Southern Poverty Law Center Moms for Liberty is a far-right anti-government organization mm-hmm. um, which I think I'm gonna go I'm gonna go by that definition instead of the gobbledygook that they give out of uh, gave out themselves um, they advocate for the abolition of the Department of Education mm-hmm. um, they uh, advance conspiracy theories they have supported chapter members who have quoted Hitler, Inofficial literature. And can
0: I just pop in here for a sec? Because when they said they quoted Hitler, I was like, by accident? Like, did they use a quote that they didn't realize was attributed to him? And right. then Hitler I found said, the flyer. Right, Hitler said a
1: lot of things.
0: No. Well, I'll say a lot. Of, no. no, 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 no. It was literally like, here's the quote, Adolf Hitler. They were very aware who who gave the quote.
1: <laughs> and, then some, and then they were like, whoops, shouldn't have done that. And then, like, at a convention later, someone was like, yes, they
0: should have. It's just... <laughs> (laughs) It's really, it's a journey with these people.
1: Yeah, and it's sort of, uh, I mean, it's very gaslighty. But another thing I was surprised to learn about Moms for Liberty. So it was founded by three women named Tiffany, Tina, and Bridget, uh, who are Florida school board members. Moms for Liberty is closely affiliated with the Florida Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And Governor uh, (laughs) uh, Governor Ron DeSantis... Uh, The whiniest bitch in American politics. And Mm -hmm. um, in the image and likeness of its closely affiliated, I guess, spiritual leader, uh, Moms for Liberty is an organization for whiny little bitches. Yeah. 100% whiny little bitches. They don't
0: like masks and they don't like books. They don't
1: like masks. They don't like books. But you know what they like the least? What? Gay people trying oh, to exist. Oh yeah, they don't
0: like they don't like gay people either. They
1: don't <laughs> like gay people existing. Um, I don't know how we go from like, hmm. I think that some of the restrictions in schools are not necessarily in line with epidemiological science. I don't know how we go from that to like fire the gay teachers. <laughs> like <laughs>
0: That in the White House, Erin, is what we would have called mission creep. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, the creepiest of mission creeps. I was also <laughs> surprised to learn, Alyssa, uh, there's only 103,000 members in the entire country.
0: Do you know what I was very disturbed to learn? New York State has the second highest Moms for Liberty membership behind Florida and just ahead of Pennsylvania.
1: Wow. Congratulations. Blue states.
0: You got to stay awake even if you're living in the blue states. You have no idea what can be going on.
1: Yeah. A lot of moms for liberty in, in New York State. I just – the 100,000 number really struck me because that's not that many people.
0: It's not that many people. I mean, especially if you spread them over about almost 300 chapters.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's not very many people. But, like, also, how many – How like, if you only had 100,000 followers on Instagram – you would be considered, like, a micro-influencer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you're not that, you're not even, like, really a celebrity. You, like, pe- no. maybe you have, like, a niche sort of fame, but, like, you're not really a celebrity. I
0: don't know. You might get low-key, like, paid a low-key fee to post about, like, a probiotic.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what it seems like Moms for Liberty is is a smokescreen screen for a an extreme far right agenda using the mantle of parents' rights mm-hmm. to pretend that like it is parents it's a parents' rights issue to regulate whether LGBTQ people can be mentioned as human beings in schools, uh, or whether children should be allowed to read books that educate them on their bodies, um, or on sexuality that is anything but cishet sexual relationships right um and it also is a organization that doesn't have uh it's a it's a 501c4 which means that it they don't have to disclose who's giving them money
0: nope
1: um and so it's pretty murky i and this is just going to be some wild speculation Mm -hmm. but based on available public information it seems like there's not that many big players in funding these conservative causes.
0: Totally agree. Because if you think about it, Erin, Moms for Liberty raised something like $2 million last year. And if you think about it, they only, and they have 100,000 members, like even if everybody gave 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Like, but they're not. I mean, they get a couple big donations a year, but they really aren't getting like not a lot. $2 million, not a lot of money.
1: Right, and their merch sales ninety six thousand dollars.
0: <laughs> I saw the merch sales too. I, I How much of that is ironic? Googling, though. I resisted looking what the mer- looking at what the merch is. Um, it's
1: probably bad. <laughs> uh, it's pr- it's probably pretty bad. Uh, the they've raised they raised two million dollars in twenty twenty two. Um, the Heritage Foundation and the Leadership Institute, both of which have innocuous names, but ver- very not. Innocuous missions uh, have have given uh, Moms for Liberty a lot of money, Um, but we still don't know most of the places that Moms for Liberty is getting it from. Like, don't know. I mean, whatever. Leonard Leo's got his fingers (laughs) in everything.
0: Is this where we talk about that we thought that I thought Leonard Leo was a serial killer? (laughs) I do that every single
1: time I see his name. I have to pause and be like, oh, not Leonard Lake. The, Leonard torture, Lake the, is the torture. The torture dungeon killer. the torture dungeon guy <laughs> who killed himself with a cyanide tooth when he was being questioned by the police. No. Leonard Leo, arguably worse for America than Leonard Lake. Yeah, possibly. I would say you could do a side by side and like Leonard Lake was scary and bad, and he did kill a bunch of people, but maybe Leonard that should Leo, be our first grid. <laughs> neither funny. N- th- neither, that is neither that,
0: funny, nor both bad in different ways.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so Moms for Liberty also has supported. Uh, oh my God, this is something that I was shocked to find. So, a tax filing for Moms for Liberty's Florida based. Uh, Foundation Mm -hmm. shows that the organization uh, received a hundred thousand dollar donation from Julie Fancelli. Julie Fancelli is uh, a member of the family that owns Publix grocery store. Who knew? I mean, if you're that far right, shouldn't you change the name of your grocery store to Privix? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's so stupid.
0: Do you know what I was shocked to learn? What? The Moms for Liberty had a summit over the 4th of July. And do you know who one of their sponsors was? Who? Patriot Mobile. Erin, did you know there is, a, there is an actual conservative Christian cell phone company? Who knew? For what? For what? I don't know. It's... It, it, a Christian conservative cell phone company. How are their cell phones different? <laughs> how are their cell phones
1: different? But also, how is it different than most major telecom companies that are uh, that are just donating money? To, like, are they? Is it like an anti-abortion phone? It's like every time you, I don't know. That's well.
0: If you if you have a Patriot Mobile phone, your money is going to Trump summit speech and the NRA apparently and CPAC. <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I don't want any of that, so I'm not going to be switching from Verizon. Um, so <laughs> uh, something that I think we need to—we're laughing, right? And we're going to get into right. the, like, truly giggle, giggle, giggle part of this story pretty soon. But I think it's important for people to know that even though this is a fringe organization that that champions bad ideas that nobody likes, this is an organization that is taken very seriously by the Republican establishment. Mm-hmm. Um Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Asa Hutchinson, and Vivek Ramaswamy have all attended the uh, Moms for Liberty summit. Like, they took it seriously enough to go to their dumb meeting. And so, you know, it's important, I think, for us to—even though they are super fringe, like, this isn't actually fringe within the American Republican Party.
0: And I was going to say that one of the stated goals, as you said earlier, of Moms for Liberty is— disbanding, dissolving the Department of Education, Mm -hmm. which is something that Vivek, Ron DeSantis and Trump all agree with. If they win the presidency, they will seek to dissolve the Department of Education, which, Aaron, as we found out in our research, was only made cabinet level in 1979 by Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. And there
1: is what we call the nut graph in journalism. <laughs> um, they've got all of these like flashy stories, uh, anti-trans laws, libs of TikTok style. Like, look at what these you know teachers are doing. Look at what they're teaching kids in school. You know, we've got fucking Joe Kennedy uh, reading that book on the during a committee. Do you remember that? It was like the grossest. Fiona's over there nodding. Fiona remembers.
0: Oh, Um, yes. Old man. Do you know, I'm sorry. I was thinking of a different Kennedy. Yeah. Yes, I remember. That was disgusting.
1: It's disgusting. Well, those stories and those causes are the like flashy little Moms for Liberty pet issues that get headlines and go viral. But really what they want to do is privatize public education. That has been a huge goal of the American conservative movement for decades. And they're getting closer than they've ever gotten before by convincing people i mean i think covid convinced a lot of parents who distrusted the public education system to pull their kids out of school half of generation alpha can't read like the system is really quickly collapsing ask any teacher ask anybody who works in a school right now it is the worst it's ever been and um and even though i think most americans would hear the idea of dissolving the, the department of education and be like what why would you do that? Right. We're we are so close to that just happening, happening before our eyes and uh, having public education go away and have it be mm-hmm. just like everything else in this country, something that you have to pay out the nose for and that is like cripplingly – expensive and lines the pockets of people that don't have anybody's best interests and in mind except their own right um so that's what moms for liberty i think that's what they're really trying to do and that's probably why they have such so many like shadowy far-right donors because like yeah it's weird like why do why do a bunch of middle-aged suit wearing political consultants care what books kids can check out from the library like why do you fucking care well are too they old don't. to have
0: kids that young. And the funny thing is, is like to your point, is that dissolving the Department of Education has like nothing to do with that. The Department of Education doesn't set the curriculum in schools. That's all done by the state. So they really just want to privatize, educate. That is all that this is. It mm-hmm. is all a smokescreen just for that.
1: Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, as part of the smokescreen, there's a super gross... This was so gross. Such a gross story. So one of the three founders of Moms for Liberty is a woman named Bridget Ziegler. Bridget Ziegler is married to Christian Ziegler, who is a potato-shaped man who is in charge (laughs) of uh, the chair of the Florida GOP. And according to an investigative journalism (laughs) piece— Christian and Bridget were into uh, threesomes. They were having mm-hmm. a menage a trois with him, his uh, Bridget, Christian, and a third person, a woman. Of course, because Republicans would never just let it be like two dudes and a woman. Obviously, right? Um, so anyway, they were the, it, it, within the context of a threesome relationship. The third party accused Christian Ziegler of abuse and mm-hmm. rape, and that is super. Disturbing, and if um, you know if it if it turns out to be true, I hope he goes to jail.
0: (laughs) It's like super definitely, and but but in the reporting, one of the stories, one of the one of the uh, findings was that they were the three of them were supposed to meet up, and Bridget couldn't make it, so the woman who was abused was like. I was really just in it for her, so she canceled. And that, according to the story, made him mad and is what prompted him to go over and assault her.
1: Okay. So that's that's horrible. That's, like, one level of horrible that is horrible. more horrible than this other thing that we're going to say. But, like, okay. why is it okay for— I mean, obviously, it's pretty hypocritical for a person who is having, like— uh, bisexual encounters even yeah. though you know she the ones she was involved with, with allegedly were consensual right. um if you're having consensual encounters that are outside of the realm of hetero then why are you wh- what 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 are you doing why are you crusading against just like leave everyone alone you would save leave so much energy alone. just leave everyone alone i don't understand and like it's it's really—I don't know. It sort of just reminds me of the, like, abortions for me and none for thee thing. Yeah. You know, how, how a lot of times protesters outside of clinics will be patients one day, and then the next day they're back outside protesting. They're the only ones whose abortion is moral. Um, I feel like that's how it, it is with the Zieglers. And um, it's a gross story. And I just— I don't know. Another thing is, like, Christian Ziegler is, like, not sexy. Um,
0: Not Not, at all. Not remotely. But the one thing, not the one thing, but an interesting thing about this is that, you know, as Floridians, as the head of the party, Ron DeSantis was like, he's got to go. Like, everyone gets due process, but this is an unnecessary distraction.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As uh,
0: opposed opposed to – Donald Trump with 91 (laughs) indictments? Like, what?
1: (laughs) Do you expect moral consistency from this party? No. It's it's, if you try it, like, I'm feeling myself getting a headache right now thinking about all of the mental gymnastics that they have to do in order to accommodate all of their deviancy. Um, No, see,
0: the thing is, you and I would have to do gymnastics to do that. They literally, I think, are very good at compartmentalizing.
1: Yeah, seriously, they're like the Container Store. Their brains just have all these little areas <laughs> just a where things well go. Well,
0: organizer influencer pantry. That's I know all it is. it's like
1: every single box has calligraphy labeling exactly what's in there, and ne'er the twain shall meet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's another thing. Bridget Ziegler is not nobody. You know, she's married to the chair of the Florida GOP, but she's also um, just now ending her term as uh, the Sarasota School Board Chair. And while she hasn't been directly involved in the leadership, leadership of the organization that she helped found, she is a member of an advisory board that helps. So so it's sort of like she's still, I mean, the she's still still pretty involved. She's still pretty involved. The organization is like, she's not involved. It's like, well, then why is she on this advisory board? So anyway, the organization, long story short, that is campaigning uh, and championing Don't Say Gay Bills, trying to get books banned from schools that help children understand themselves and their own identities, and uh, attacking staff members that are members of the LGBTQ community uh, are themselves having these, I don't know. I I, I don't know, like, I don't even want to finish the sentence. I'm just like, how, if this were a writer's room, I would be like, like is, I don't know.
0: This, this isn't, is, isn't a great story.
1: This is too. Ha- this is too hamfisted, guys. You got to do something else. Like anyway. Um, so another thing that we want to we want to talk about, moms for liberty, is probably not going away. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. I think parental rights is a buzzword that we're going to hear in the debate tonight. Uh, Ron DeSantis loves the term parental rights, which is just, you know, a bullshit marketing term. Um, But Moms for Liberty's shine has kind of worn off a little bit. In the 2023 elections, they tried to run a bunch of uh, candidates for school board across the country, and they got shellacked. Shellacked. Absolutely shellacked. Pennsylvania, Iowa, Virginia— Ah, uh, North Carolina, Minnesota, Kansas, um, Kansas, Washington, Washington, not doing great. Ohio, uh, not great. They they're just they're not doing well. So, um, you know, Moms for Liberty is still around. They're probably going to be around through 2024. If the phrase parental rights no longer gets the cachet from voters that it that it got, I'm sure we're going to see this organization go underground and then come back again. If only because they love wearing their own merch. Indeed. (laughs) Um, Okay, news from Texas. Alyssa, can you introduce us to a lawsuit that is being filed in Texas against some of the state's draconian abortion bans?
0: Erin, a woman, a pregnant Texas woman, Kate Cox, whose fetus has a fatal condition, sued the state on Tuesday seeking an emergency court order to allow her doctor to perform an abortion despite the state's strict bans on the procedure. This lawsuit is believed to be one of the first attempts in the nation to seek a court-ordered abortion since SCOTUS overturned Roe v. Wade last year, allowing states to make their own abortion laws. So, Erin, Kate Cox is 20 weeks pregnant. Her fetus has been diagnosed with trisomy 18, a condition that in all but very rare cases leads to miscarriage, stillbirth, or the death of the infant within the first year after birth. Despite trips to the emergency room for pain and discharge, Cox, a mother of two young children who lives in the Dallas area, has been told by doctors that she is required to continue her pregnancy under state law. Yes, Erin? All roads lead back to SB 8. Part of the reason she has brought this suit is not only to herself be allowed to get an abortion, but she's seeking to protect her doctor from prosecution as well as her husband who could both face civil liability under the state's 2021 abortion restriction known as SB 8, which means that private citizens, anyone who sees the doctor, her husband, walk into a clinic can sue her and anyone who helped her in obtaining an abortion after, again, to remind folks of the law, SB-8 denies abortion after detection of fetal cardiac activity, which is usually around six weeks, which is when most people do not know they could possibly be pregnant. Ugh.
1: I Okay. So the, the birth defect... A, well, it's actually mm-hmm. a
0: chromosomal defect. That it is right.
1: It means three chromosomes. Um, yeah, it's something that that most states. I mean, this is another failure of the state of Texas's infrastructure because in most states you can take an earlier, you can take a test pretty early in your pregnancy, mm-hmm. like ten weeks. And again, this would be illegal in Texas, regardless. But around ten weeks, right. you can take a screening test that will tell you if. They'll, it just takes your blood, minimally invasive, and they'll tell you if you have any markers of a few really catastrophic uh, genetic issues. And that's one of them. Um, and, it, and it just, I don't know. It's, it's, really, it's really tragic. I don't know what these laws accomplish. If that baby is not going to live, let the parents grieve. That's a wanted child. Like right. why should need why should she need to carry and put herself through a pregnancy that is going to end like the longer it goes on the harder it's going to be on her body. Mm-hmm. Like every time you give birth it's a it's a huge risk. Like it's a risk to your future fertility, it's a risk to your health, to your comfort, to your ability to move throughout through the world without like pelvic injury. You know, there's right. so many risks in birth and I don't understand what this accomplishes. What does it you're making a per, you're forcing a person to carry a baby and with that baby the stress and anxiety you're you're
0: stopping them from moving on like let them move on and she could end up giving birth to a baby that would be so ill it would have no chance like like that is its own form of torture that they mm-hmm. are inflicting her on what is a truly almost certainly devastating outcome but how long they're going to make her bear that burden is is somehow up to the state that is so fucking ridiculous and mm-hmm. one of the one of the potentially i hate to say good outcomes but because the the law in Texas is so nebulous when it comes to exceptions that the this case could actually force the state to more clearly define what is allowed under law, which would protect patients as well as doctors. Mm-hmm. So she is represented by the Center for Reproductive Rights, which is also representing the five women who have brought suit uh, in Texas earlier this year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And another point I want to make is that when when babies with these like devastating and, and probably non-survivable birth defects are born— They take resources. Right. I mean, like in in a country where the number of OBGYNs available to people who need them is dwindling and is at a premium, um, we are going to devote resources to something that the parents don't want, that is not survivable for the infant, and that takes time, attention, effort, labor, and impacts the mental health of the health, the medical professionals who have to work. On these cases, like right. they're already fucking stretched to their limits. And we're going to we're going to put them through this as well, like both parents and professionals.
0: And it'll be up to the insurance companies whether they're going to care. If they're going to allow the treatment. Like, that's the other thing that's crazy about this. When you talk about resources, mm-hmm. this is if 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 Kate Cox were forced to give birth, if the child survived birth, if. Then they would have to file all these claims for insurance that insurance could deny for the care.
1: Yep. Like, they would need to get a social security number and then enter the right. social security number into their insurance. Like, it's cr- like the second it is f- would,
0: extreme yeah. cruelty. It, it is, is
1: inhumane. It is complete. It is, it is like, uh, it, it feels like a medieval torture device, like something that is on. just completely unnecessary, gratuitous, mm-hmm. and like frankly evil. It's, um, a- it's completely evil. Uh, okay, let's move from evil, evil to stupid evil. Uh, <laughs> after <laughs> uh, Tommy Tuberville, senator from Alabama, after nine months of blocking hundreds of military promotions to protest the Pentagon's payment of abortion-related travel costs, his efforts have been aborted, and he has. Uh, Nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. On Tuesday, he said that he would lift the hold on some of the uh, the blocked military promotions. Military promotions for people that, by the way, had nothing to do with coming up with the policy that he was mad about. And the policy right. that he was mad about was something that was enacted after Dobbs, that uh, where the government would reimburse service members who were stationed in states— with restrictive abortion laws who needed to travel out of state to obtain abortion care. Not even even reimbursing them for the care itself. Reimbursing them for the travel that it takes to go from Texas to, say, New Mexico. Or, you know, Idaho to California. Whatever. Um, Yeah. And Tommy Tuberville held up hundreds of nominations, endangered national security, um, made a lot of people mad, fucked a lot of families up. A yep. lot of families waiting for—couldn't move. Their spouses couldn't get jobs. Like, there's all of these—the the kids couldn't start at a new school. Like, he fucked all of this up and got nothing. He got And
0: he was never going to get nothing. He was never going to get anything. Yeah, I mean, like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't no have one done was, this. His own party was turning on him. Like, this, he was trying to make Fetch happen. It was never going to happen.
1: <laughs> well, what's really funny is that he is really trying to save face— after all of this, he said that he got some of the stuff that he was looking for. What, Tommy? What? What'd you what get, Tommy? What stuff?
0: Put it, put it on your Instagram. Let's you see got what you fl- got.
1: Okay. To put it in football terms, buddy, you got Florida Stated. You got Jack. Oh, squat. even
0: I know what that means. Even yeah, I know what that
1: means. and he's the former coach of Alabama. Um, yeah. Oh, He got, he got,
0: <laughs> he got so Florida good.
1: stated. He he got absolutely nothing. He did not change the policy. Um, he has he still holding up confirmations for some four star generals, mm-hmm. but I don't think that that's going to hold for very long because there are mechanisms within the Senate that can just flick him away.
0: Yeah, Tim Tim Kaine was on television yesterday saying that the Senate would probably just demand to stay in and vote on every single one of them before they went home for the holidays. So way to totally, listen, if there is one thing that members of Congress care about, it's getting on vacation. <laughs> and so Tommy, I'm telling you, he's going to be sitting alone at the lunch table right before Christmas if they have to do this.
1: Oh, my God. Well, Alyssa, you know people who used to work for the Senate Yep. Have you heard any of them say like make comments about how pissed senators would be if if they were? Yes.
0: I mean even Tim Kaine was saying it yesterday. <laughs> like give me a break. I mean they're going to end up being forced to travel on like the second busiest travel day of the that's, of the okay. holiday season. So that's what you get. Thank Tommy Tuberville.
1: Okay, but that's funny. And that, good see, for America. That's funny
0: and good for America.
1: That's funny and good for America because I think if more members of the Senate actually have to experience the hell that is commercial air travel on actual busy travel days, maybe they'll, like, introduce some resolutions or try to build and a I gotta train. i got to be
0: honest. I can't imagine how many nonstop flights there are from Washington Reagan to whatever Tommy Tuberville's airport is. <laughs> Uh, what a
1: what an idiot, dumbest senator, and there is stiff competition. <laughs> dumbest senator. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, former senator, who former uh, senator. <laughs> keeps having to go back to her old job.
0: Erin, I thought this was one of the weirdest stories. Like, of course, you know me. I work from home. I'm by myself. I have cable television on all day. It's an illness. And I see, like, Chuck Schumer giving her the atta girl, You know, like, oh, way to go, girl. I'm like, what is he talking about? And then I find out that Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, made history earlier this week by casting her 32nd tie-breaking vote, setting a new record for number of votes cast by a vice president.
1: Well, that's going to win somebody jeopardy one time. Someday.
0: You know what? That is a good That's a good outcome here. You're right. It's a good jeopardy question. It's mm-hmm. a good jeopardy question. Bar trivia at the very least. It's a ch- it's going to be the championship question. I mean, but like I don't know. It's not like she did anything. Like I feel so b- I felt so bad for the story because it's like it's the weirdest at a girl for something she kind of has nothing to do with and they're all like praising her and it's literally her job. Like it's literally her job to break ties.
1: But it sounds so boring. Like she can't do anything. Like she's gotta stick around, and be like, all right, well I can't do any cool shit. I gotta wait for these idiots to get in a right. dread a deadlock.
0: And, like, media people-ish took the time to be like, yay, Kamala, because she's not doing anything else that's great and also not fair. Like, the vice president is the vice president. I really – and look, I was living in the middle of it. What do I know? But people – I don't remember all these think pieces done about Joe Biden when Barack Obama was president. And also, if people want to wonder why her, quote, approval rating is a little bit low, she was literally given the most unpopular thing to be the hallmark of her portfolio. The administration put her in charge of immigration. Yeah, I mean, just to rewind, and and I will double-check my memory on this when we get off, I am pretty sure that the first thing Joe Biden was put in charge of as president was selling the Recovery Act, which meant going around America and, like, cutting ribbons for how money was being spent, which most people like. Like, most people look favorably when their roads and bridges get fixed. Yeah, and most so, people like
1: that. Even, I even was, Republican governors, they pretend that they did it and, like, try to— whitewash the fact that it's like federal money doing it.
0: Yeah, I mean and like she has had problems. She's had a lot of turnover in her in her office and stuff like that, but I just thought it was such a weird story to begin with and then also so strange to be tethered to like also she's not doing great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Kamala, I the thing is, I think that she is a really great passionate speaker when it comes to issue the issues of choice and reproductive justice reproductive right. freedom so I hope going into 2024 the Biden administration actually lets her go out and speak about yeah because uh, there's like we've like we've said <laughs> old men talking about abortions oh kind of weird creepy. Yeah, even even if they're, like, pro-choice, if they get too into it, it's like, why are you such a nerd about abortion? Like, why yeah, do you, why know? you know so much? <laughs> why do you know so much? Unless you're literally a medical doctor that performs abortions, you shouldn't—I mean, I want you, you to know— you should Just know the, be for it. You should be for it, know the basics, but I feel like maybe right. Kamala would be the person— to talk
0: about a little bit more, a little bit more standing on the issue. Yes, a little bit more sta- like a, it's a gynecological procedure.
1: It's super like imagine if there was like some urology issue with like the male anatomy. And no, thank I thank you. They I don't want female, to know anything about it. We had a female president going up there being like, we got to let the men do whatever they want to their dicks. Right.
0: Like a female like, president what? getting up there and being like, so the scrotum. <laughs> no, thank you. Stop it. Stop you it. You should know that there is one and let's move on. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Does that make us old? Are we prudes? I don't know. Eric, what? you
0: know I'm a prude. I'm happy to say it and that's
1: fine. <laughs> um. Okay, let's talk about Liz Cheney. Yes. Um, Liz Cheney wrote a burn book <laughs> and uh, it came out. It's called Oath and Honor, a Memoir and a Warning. Okay. That's fine. I knew it. I mean, is her memoir the warning? Is it about what happens when you're born into a family of megalomaniacs? And. Erin, I'm guessing she skips that part. (laughs) Okay, okay. Is it the. Does she get into the warning? Okay. Is it a warning about how you shouldn't disown your gay sister?
0: Again, I'm going to guess that might be a footnote. But okay. I'm okay. I'm guessing there's not a chapter on that.
1: Okay, oh, maybe there is. I don't know. I feel like Liz maybe. Cheney. I don't want to be a, a Liz Cheney defender. I would love to talk to Liz Cheney because I think she knows a lot of stuff. Um, you know but, why I'll be a
0: Liz Cheney defender? I I think that she's fucking real. Like I get it. She look, we know who she is. That's, we know who she is. We know what she believes. And to me, you can have a conversation with someone if you know what they believe. You won't agree with them. Mm-hmm. But she's not like – I mean, Aaron, I woke up this morning. Trump said he's going to be a dictator if he wins. Just on one day. Just for one day. Just – but I guess the point is, I, t- I took it to mean, that if you're a dictator day one, you're kind of a dictator forever. <laughs> Right, right. It's sort of like the purge. If you like right, murder exactly. your if
1: you murder your neighbor's entire family on the purge, you're still a murderer <laughs> after the purge is done. Um, I, I think Liz Cheney is somebody who has demonstrated an ability to learn from her past and be contrite and forthcoming mm-hmm. about the way that she has learned from her past. So, if there is a chapter in her book, which I actually might read, if there is a chapter in her book about feeling bad about being a jerk to her sister, I, I wouldn't surprise me. I think that out of maybe. all of the point. Out of out of all of the out of all of the like Republican politicians, I think that she's probably the most likely to to be like, you know what? I don't like that I did that.
0: Right. And that's and that's the difference too. She's not flip flopping. She's like learning and growing. Again, I don't want to make her an American hero, but like mm-hmm. at least she can kind of roll with the times, maybe. Yeah. Although she is considering a third party run. Do you think she's considering a third-party
1: run so that she gets better press for her book? Because she's a savvy,
0: savvy... one mad respect if that's the case. Yeah, good um, for you, Liz. But also, I do she has ever since, like we have to assume that ever since she decided to be on the January 6th uh committee, that she knew kind of what her fate would be. So I don't I don't just like for all of these, she to me, and you and I have talked about this a lot. There's like two groups of Republicans. (laughs) Everyone who was a Republican during the Trump administration, you could either do what Liz Cheney did and be like, I call bullshit, this is bad, and this is a threat to democracy, or you can be the kind of person who wrote a book and is like, listen, I stayed until the very end because I thought I myself was going to keep Donald Trump from becoming the terror we knew him to be, even though I joined the administration well after things like the Muslim ban had been in- affected.
1: Like, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. She's no Cassidy. Thank goodness. She's no Cassidy. Um, she also has said that she's not uh, ruling out voting for Joe Biden or campaigning for him. If he's the 2024 Democratic nominee, I'm. I don't know how much power Liz Cheney has over people. Like, if
0: she, I don't know how that would look. It's all. It's a hard. I think that there is probably a small targeted subset of people for whom she might be effective, an effective surrogate. Right. Um, for people who
1: are doing quiet luxury in the '80s. Yeah. <laughs> I think exactly that's her target demo.
0: But again, I give her credit for saying that when you see how many Republicans cannot say even people standing on stage to to become the Republican nominee can't say, no, I don't support Donald Trump. And no, if he's the nominee, I wouldn't support him. Like, that's crazy. Like, in that way, she is much more honest because you know that the others agree and feel it. They just won't say it
1: hmm. I mean, I feel like the Republican Party right now under Donald Trump. Did you watch the fall of the House of Usher? How far did you get in? Oh, was not sh- that far. Did you get to episode two? No. OK. <laughs> well, never mind then. The final scene of episode two is disgusting. It's like people at this hedonistic rave bathed by boiling water and they all die.
0: Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What about that pitch right there made you think that this was a show for me?
1: That's a great point. That's a great I mean, point. You, um, come on, you know it's so cartoonishly violent, though, that it's like my brain turned off. It's fair like, enough.
0: Fair enough. You can dissociate a bit and be like, right. "This is truly not real."
1: Yeah, it was like a like comic book Quentin Tarantino Kill Bill levels of just complete over the top gore. But I feel like that dance part—that is the Republican Party in late 2023 going into 2024. They're at this hedonistic dance party but that doesn't even look that fun. (laughs) And it's like, oh, guys, your complete horniness for whatever is going on in here is not going to end very well.
0: You know? I mean, I don't know. Maybe should we read her book? I feel like I kind of need to read her book I know. Now I feel like I sold
1: myself on this book. I don't know. Well,
0: because, like, I mean, I feel like she doesn't hold back. And here's the thing. She's only trashing people we already don't like so it's kind of like it's a bit like a it's a bit like a juicy romance novel for us that we might get at the grocery store (laughs) right except I am completely destroyed
1: from the inside out and so
0: I bad for America
1: (laughs) and well I think good for America and probably not funny Liz Cheney does not strike me as a funny I don't know I don't know she might we'll be see. Lucky Some
0: funny. of these stories may write themselves.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's true. Okay. Uh, finally, a toast. Well, we got a trost. It's a toast and a roast.
0: We have a trost and then I have a tiny toast after.
1: Okay. So uh, former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor passed this past week. Uh, mm-hmm. She was 93 years old. I couldn't believe she was only 93 years old. I know. I felt like she was 100. Like younger than Chuck Grassley. That's <laughs> like there are people running for re-election, who are older than the recently deceased former Supreme Court justice, who retired a long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah, she retired a long time ago, but she she passed uh, due to complications related to advanced dementia. Um, She was inspirational to a lot of female lawyers, um, including the five that have served on the Supreme Court. Um, She also saved... Abortion rights in 1992, yep. despite being appointed by President Ronald Reagan, who was uh, kind of staunchly <laughs> anti-abortion yeah. rights, uh, she she helped save abortion rights in 1992 in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. But she also helped ruin America in 2000. Uh, to, was it 2000 or 2001? Bush v. Gore.
0: 2001, more, I think, is when SCOTUS is when the ruling been? Yeah, when I the mean. ruling came
1: down. Um, so yeah, she was she, and I think that she also was an adherent to an old kind of politeness, decorum Mm -hmm. type of life that now doesn't really exist anymore. Um, So that's, I don't know. That's how I think about, that's how I feel about Sandra Day O'Connor. I think that she was trailblazer with a complicated legacy.
0: Well, you know, it's like, I think that, you know, she was confirmed 99 to 0 as a Supreme Court justice. I think that I'm cool with someone being on Supreme Court who doesn't necessarily agree with me. But like approaches it as an actual lawyer judge and yes. has an open mind. And but the fact that I did not know about her that I loved the most was that she and William Rehnquist went to Stanford together. They dated and he proposed, and she said no.
1: Good for her. I know. Normalized turning down proposals. She was a trailblazer in turning down proposals from rich guys.
0: Yeah. I was like, good. I was like, I didn't know that. That's amazing.
1: That's that's awesome. Um yeah, she was a she was an a important woman in American history and rest in peace Justice O'Connor. Rest in peace.
0: Another rest in peace that I just wanted to shout out. Norman Lear passed away I as know. we were getting ready to record Erin. I hate it. It's I... a good dude, founder of People for the American Way. I mean, like, such a good, good human being. And, like, the difference in our ages, me and you, not me and Norman Lear, um, <laughs> is, like, 50 I grew some years. up, you know, like, my parents weren't exactly, like, let's find out about children's programming. They were like, we're watching All in the Family and so are you. Mm-hmm. And so I always grew up, like, with a real place in my heart for him. But the one shout out I wanted to give Norman Lear is that his this show Maude with B. Arthur, which was a spinoff of All in the Family, was the first show in prime time to tackle the issue of abortion. They openly talked about Maude openly talked about with her husband on television uh, that she was 47, my age, and pregnant, and whether she should have an abortion or not. And it was like a real groundbreaking moment because it was before Roe was legal. Wow, mm-hmm. I mean, this was in the '70s. This was in the '70s. What a
1: groovy guy he was! He was ahead of, of his grooviest. time. He was 101 years old, yep. I believe.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, look, a, a life well lived. He was sharp to the end. Yep, uh, according to everything I've seen of him publicly, I think he was doing public appearances and social media stuff like last just year. So, yeah, totally. Like recently, um, sharp to the end. I just. This, I don't want to sound, like, pessimistic, but, like, progress is not linear, right? Norman no. Lear, the fact that he was doing what he was doing in the 70s, and then we had these eras of backlash. Like, I think we sometimes get really comfortable with the fact yeah. that, like, oh, this has been accomplished, and so now that means there's a pin in it, and we can't go back. No, we absolutely can, and we do all the time. And we need yeah. to guard the gains that we win, and we need to keep fighting for the things that we think are settled, but actually, yep. are not settled because there's always going to be somebody trying to claw back what we've won. And Norman Lear is a really good example of a person who was aware of this yep. and kept fighting, even though I think he was doing stuff in the '70s. That, like in the '90s, he was probably like, "What is going on?" It's like Why- seriously, I
0: thought we covered this, people. <laughs> yeah.
1: What is going on? Why does nobody? Anyway, um, so Norman Lear, a real one. Gosh, real he- one. He was <sighs> we gotta guard Mel Brooks at all costs. Sorry, I even said that. Guard Mel Brooks at all costs, please. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got an interview with the president of Catholics for Choice. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes, and their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long.
0: Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are in- entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000.
1: One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like—I'll just be going through my day, and I'll be like, why am I so, like— Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. Breakfast burrito. (laughs) not, Not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar. Go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you... Stay focused and alert throughout the day. And, Uh um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel Smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks.
0: Yeah. I have I refuse to be uncomfortable if I want to be productive. I
1: refuse (laughs) to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time.
0: Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at Viori.com slash Hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot slash Hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash Hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who would have admonished the three wise men for not buying off the registry. Why do all that research into donkey adaptable car seats when some dudes who think they know better show up with (laughs) myrrh? Mom complaints. Hashtag mom complaints. Don't need any more onesies. Come on, guys. Um, Alyssa, I am excited for this interview. It's the holiday season. A lot of us are thinking about Religion, religion is the reason for the season. Um, and I think something that's missing a lot of times in our conversations about abortion, about reproductive rights, or about reproductive justice is a religious perspective because it's there. And it matters. So, without further ado, she's a three time winner of the Religion News Writers Association's Awards for Commentary of the Year and has garnered over a dozen Catholic Press Association awards for her work. She's a Yale Divinity School grad and a lifelong activist for women and the LGBTQ community. She's the president of Catholics for Choice, a nonprofit that seeks to build a strong community of pro choice Catholic advocates to promote public policy rooted in true religious liberty, social justice, and Respect for Conscience. Jamie Manson, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you. What an honor to be here. We're so glad you're here. So the Catholic Church and Reproductive Choice often feel like two incongruous entities. So talk to us about Catholics for Choice and your mission.
4: Absolutely. Um, Our opposition is religious. Uh, Opposition to women's rights, opposition to LGBTQ rights, opposition to uh, contraceptive and abortion rights are all religious and they're primarily Catholic, and so um, what seems incongruous is actually profoundly connected, and so Catholics for Choice is actually 50 years old, um, but since the fall of Roe has gotten a whole new infusion of life and relevance, and so what we do is we try to name, first of all, um, that the fact is the opposition is religious, and therefore religious voices should actually be centered in the fight for our abortion rights. Um, The the fact is that the majority of Catholics actually support abortion rights. 63% think it should be legal in all or most cases. And Catholics are having abortions at very high rates. One in four abortion patients in this country identifies as Catholic. Uh, And yet we have a hierarchy and this very dominant narrative that says you can't be Catholic and support abortion rights. And it's it's just a false narrative that we're here to dismantle. Jamie,
0: what challenges have you faced dealing with an increasingly hard right American church? Do American church leaders actually represent the views of most American Catholics
4: when it comes to reproductive choice? No, the opposite. Uh, and that's that. But we have seeded that narrative to the right wing for so many years. And that's why we're here. Really, we serve two populations. One is the the, you know, that population of Catholics uh, that I mentioned who support abortion rights but are very closeted about it. And the part of the population that just doesn't know how they feel. Uh, about abortion because of their religiously fueled stigma, because it is so polarized. And I think this is somewhere the pro-choice movement has come up short is by acknowledging to this population that it is, for many people, a morally complex issue and encountering people there and giving them the information they need, giving them the the education, because they've been victimized by decades of disinformation and manipulative imagery and the, you know, the anti-choice playbook, which was written by Catholics in the 1970s. And so we exist for both of those populations. It's really, really hard because I think that we have forgotten, uh, we who are part of the pro-choice movement have forgotten who the enemy is, and it is religious. And so I find a lot of my day is actually struggling with the pro-choice movement and with funders to make this case really clear, is that Religious voices have to be centered because only we can speak back to that religious language. Um, and that's the way we're going to win. That's the way we're, we're going to transform hearts and minds around this issue, which is the work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm.
1: We've seen a lot of religion being cited, like you mentioned, in Dobbs and in other cases, like conscience laws where pharmacists can refuse to fulfill prescriptions for people, et cetera, et cetera. How do Catholics for Choice? work with other religions who have determined that uh, their faith is an important component in their approach to reproductive justice and that they believe in reproductive freedom as a matter of faith?
4: Yeah, so we are the only Catholic organization in the United States that works on uh, contraceptive and abortion rights. So it's a pretty lonely road for us, even though, again, we are in the majority. So our um, interfaith coalition is essential. And one of the we have three key principles for why we as Catholics support abortion rights. One is conscience. One is social justice. And the other is religious freedom, which is what you're naming right now. And good Catholic teaching says we're supposed to honor religious pluralism. You know, um, our right to uh, religious freedom is supposed to protect not only my right to to uh, practice my faith, but also my right to be free of the religious beliefs of others. And what's happening now is that Catholic theology is being codified into civil law. And it's Catholic theology that the majority of Catholics don't even agree with. And so we try to make the argument with our other uh, faith-based partners that this is a real issue of religious liberty, that whether you're Catholic or not, uh, the Catholic Church is taking away your rights, your basic fundamental civil rights. And so uh, we do try to approach it that way with, with other Catholics to say, listen, Um, When Catholic theology becomes codified into civil law, the religious freedom of everyone is violated. So that's a really essential uh, part of our, our argument. You came out as a lesbian
0: in your first column in the National Catholic Reporter back in 2008 and are still one of the few openly LGBTQ people, let alone theologians, in the Catholic media ecosystem. How has your identity been met by your peers in the church?
4: Well, I have seen an extraordinary change uh, that I did not think I would see in my lifetime. Uh, When I came out in 2008, it was a very different church. There was no groovy Pope Francis. (laughs) We didn't have marriage. Uh, Same-sex marriage was not legal. And so I do believe that by sharing my story very boldly and without apology, it did, you know, change the landscape. Um, and we're in a moment now. I was just at the Vatican actually for two weeks in October because Pope Francis called this giant meeting, uh, in which he says he wants to listen to the voices of those who have been disenfranchised by the Church. And among those voices are LGBTQ. And so I went there and I, I made this the the point. I brought abortion stories to the Vatican. I actually took bound copies of abortion stories to to uh, to Rome, you know, to tell them that Catholics are also having abortions. And this is a teaching that affects even more Catholics than the you know the ban on LGBTQ relationships. And so um, that has given me hope um, and and given me uh, the gumption to call Francis you know, on what he's claiming and to say, um, I've seen you do this now with LGBTQ people, I want to see you now do this with, with women who have had abortions, and so um, again, I didn't see, I, I didn't think I'd see what I saw in Rome in my lifetime, and so uh, I'm intrigued. I'm always very pessimistic with this church, uh, but we have to take whatever opportunities we can um, to to you know to call them on their claims.
1: Mm-hmm. You say you're pessimistic. I, I find your continued association with the church to be very optimistic. I was raised Catholic. I was like, I went all the way. I went through Catholic University. I was practicing into my 20s. um, But I eventually left because I couldn't morally reconcile myself and my own beliefs with what the church was saying, like, in my name as a church member. Um, And various issues, you know, that that caused me to do this. But when I left, I I didn't really look back. So as somebody who's still associated with the church, what keeps you holding on to your faith— When some people might say, just, this organization doesn't care, just give up. Like, what keeps you hanging on?
4: I have good days and bad days. Uh, On my good days, it's because there are things about the tradition that really do give my life meaning. I mean, that's what religion is supposed to do, is help us answer the tough and unanswerable questions. And so the sacramentality uh, and, you know, the notion that God is everywhere and the social justice tradition, you know, I've seen... Catholics do extraordinarily brave and courageous things for the sake of justice, and they do that because of the tradition has formed them in that way. And that, to me, is worth struggling for. On my more pessimistic days, um, it is because the Catholic Church is a global force and is really a global menace when it comes to particularly women's rights uh, and, and and all rights in the, in the sphere of uh, sex and sexuality. And so... Um, Somebody has got to stand up from within inside the church and say, "Not in my name are you going to take away fundamental human rights, and uh, not in the name of my faith." And so, um, you know, whether it's you know, the Catholic Church has has massive power at the United Nations. You know, they practically have member status. Uh, they are able to ratify UN treaties and obstruct negotiations, and so and and they have they have a presence in every country in the world. They, um, they have diplomatic relations because technically the Vatican is a city-state and the Pope is a head of state. And so it's to call attention to this global power uh, that is, is, is reinforcing patriarchy, reinforcing discrimination. Uh, is, is really, really important. And I have to do that, you know, from a place of Catholic identity, I really believe.
0: Now, of course, the holiday season is big in the church. How are you celebrating Christmas this year? <laughs>
4: uh, well, um, one of the things that we uh, at Catholics for Choice particularly are trying to—a uh, message we're trying to get a, uh, across is um, that Mary had a choice. And that is right <laughs> out of our scripture. Um <laughs> And that is, uh, you know, there's nothing in the Bible about abortion. People often say, oh, I'm against abortion because the Bible says the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion. But it does say very clearly that when the angel Gabriel visited Mary to to do this annunciation, uh, that she had this opportunity um, to bear the, the, you know, the son of God, Mary has the opportunity to say, yes, let it be so. And that is a really, really important part of our tradition that we're really pushing uh, this year is, you know, that what women are asking for is what Mary had to, the right to have a choice.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what makes Mary, Mary in the eyes of the church, right? That she chose to, she made the choice. That's literally, that's the center of the story. Uh, One final question. Um, Does Pope Francis ever laugh? Is he,
4: is he, <laughs> like, does he like jokes? I'm, I'm so curious. I mean, I've heard that he's, you know, quite charming. Um, I think the issue is he never talks to women,
1: uh, you know, and
4: that, and, you And know, men I, aren't funny, so. There you exactly. Go. And so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do think, you know, uh Sometimes he makes unfortunate jokes about women, uh, you know, and that's when I wrote an entire column about that back in the day. Uh, so I think that is the issue. Is I've heard that you know he, you know, he's in his every day. He has lunch only with men, and I think that's what you know we have to really understand is that the, the you know the these 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 ideas about abortion and contraceptive are developed by a radical patriarchy of ostensibly celibate men uh, who have no inroads, inroads into the lives of women. And so, um, you know, that's that's a painful irony uh, that we need to be interrogating as Catholics.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Jamie Manson, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. And thank you for the work that you do as part of Catholics for Choice, as the leader of Catholics for Choice. And uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays.
4: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. a joy to be with you. Thank you.
2: The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
3: Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New Miracle-Gro organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. Miracle-Gro is simply the best.
1: And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who know from personal experience that making snow angels is completely overrated.
0: Absolutely, so, it's pathological. It's so ridiculous. Don't you're gonna get snow on your neck. No way. You cannot get snow down the back of your neck. No way. You're going to get it in your socks. You're going to get it up your jacket. All you the might as well st- roll around in sand.
1: <laughs> it's so stupid. I mean, do it once. You've never been in a snowstorm before. You're like 35 and it's been 20 years since you've been in snow. Whatever. Do it once, but like you'll I'm warning you. It's not great. There's other. It's not great. Su- making a snowman. a snowman. N-
0: not totally. Overrated. Snowballs, wonderful,
1: super fun. Um, Yeah, put food coloring in the snow. Make a snowman that's different colors. That's it's great. Such a good idea. Snow angels, though, <laughs> guys, stupid, dumb. I think P peeing, also, peeing getting- letters in the snow is better than snow angels. Trying
0: to make. Here's the thing about the snow angel, unless you're with another person. And you go stiff as a board and put your arms up so they can hoist you up. That snow angel is going to look like nothing but a law and order chalk outline by the time you're done. It's going to look like a
1: snow mess. I saw a picture today of uh, the imprint that an owl leaves on the snow when it successfully grabs prey from the snow. Yeah. Now that's a snow angel. It looks awesome because the, the owl flies down. You see an outline of their <sighs> like delicate, beautiful wings and then the pit of gore and despair from which they grabbed the rabbit or the mole or whatever. Um but it's it looks cool and human snow angels just do not just be an owl just be turn into an owl just or an get owl. the fuck out turn into yeah. an owl what's the point yeah exactly um some announcements for the class before we get to I feel petty the holidays are coming up fast but there's still time to snag the perfect gifts for everyone you love even the people you just tolerate
0: the Crooked store is stocked with super giftable winter essentials, including best selling tees that are now available as cozy sweatshirts. And
1: the sweatshirts are indeed very cozy. Head to
0: Crooked.com slash
1: store to shop and make sure to order by December thirteenth to get your merch in time for the holidays. Okay. Are you feeling petty? Oh, I'm petty. Okay, let's
0: hear. Aaron, I need Donald Trump to stop talking about food. <laughs> <laughs> like I forget which of the women from the west wing provided us with the story about the hamburger and ketchup thrown against the wall and like the It was gory- Cassidy. Cassidy, she's back. So like Cassidy and the and the ketchup dripping but in Liz Cheney's book, the aforementioned Liz Cheney, she talks about how Mike Kevin went down to Florida because reports were that Trump was so depressed after he lost that he wasn't eating. Now, Aaron, we know that Trump thinks that he is very godlike in a lot of ways, including, I think, having like reverse dysmorphia. Yeah, like he sees a very beautiful body and, and face and person and human being in the mirror when he looks. That mm-hmm. is not the case.
1: No, he's not built like an NFL quarterback, and his yes. stats that he disp- he's publicly dispensed these stats. they're like, "You are not
0: the height and weight of Tom Brady. You are just simply right. not. He's not. And when the reports from Liz's book came out, Trump, again, a man I want to flag for people who are thinking of voting for him, who continues to show no impulse control, had to take to whatever Twitter, whatever platform still allows him on and say, I was not depressed. I was angry. And it was not that I was not eating. It's that I was eating too much. All right. Oh, we agree with that too. We're sure that's probably the case. Fine. Whatever you were eating wasn't healthy. I'm certain of it.
1: <laughs> also, anger is an emotion. Let's normalize the fact that anger is an emotion. Trump was emotional. Anger is not a man get out of emotion free card. It is the emotion. Trump was emotional. He was emo- he was eating his feelings, and his feelings were well done, <laughs> anger. <laughs> with catch. Not- when I saw this story, Alyssa, I was like. What a like talk about a weird story. I don't want to know.
0: I don't, don't want to know. Care. But now I know, and I thought you all had to know. <laughs>
1: okay, mine is also about food. Um, mine's about food. It's the holiday season ish. Whatever. It's it's me wanting snacks season. Okay. Um, we've got we've got to have a conference between the two different types of truffles, and we've got to decide who gets to be called a truffle. Is it a mushroom? Oh. Is it a candy?
0: Oh, okay. That was actually going to be my question, Erin. Which I, truffle are we talking we, about? We, exactly. Exactly. I don't
1: want to have a moment when I read truffle on the menu and think mushroom or chocolate. It, those two flavors do not combine well in my head unless it's a magic mushroom yes. in chocolate. But I, I'm just saying we need to figure out. No. Macaroons. Another one macaroons and truffles we need to no we need a new word for one of the things I it's don't care true. I don't care who picks one I don't care who picks what I don't care if it's the mushrooms that are the truffle or if it's the candy that's the truffle but we need to figure it out
0: you just blew my brain I had never really figured I had not realized there were two macaroons
1: yeah well there's one that like I think it has a French pronunciation but I'm not gonna Mac do' Whatever. You just, I know, but everybody sounds like a douchebag when they try no, to. No, but French but people first, don't. French people make no effort to pronounce things with an English accent. No. So I'm making no effort to pronounce things in a French accent. Croissant. Croissant. Croissant.
0: No, but let me just say, I took French for 15 years. I still couldn't pronounce it for you if I had to. But I only like the coconut macaroon. I don't like the other macaroons.
1: You don't like the pillowy ones.
0: No. I just like chocolate. I like the – I like a macaroon dipped in chocolate, the coconut ones. Okay.
1: I like both. I am – I am in no way do Do I – Do you like both
0: truffles too?
1: Yes, but I don't like thinking about them at the same time. We need different words for those two things. They are too divergent in flavor. It, like, causes my brain to, like, skip.
0: I'm like – Even – you know what? They should have to, if they're talking about the mushroom truffles, they should have to be, like, black truffle or white truffle because that would at least help – differentiate it a little bit on paper.
1: Yeah. Although white chocolate truffle is a thing.
0: Like we need to... But they call it a white chocolate truffle. It wouldn't just yeah. be a white truffle.
1: hmm That's true.
0: That's true. Yeah. I no don't can- like chocolate truffles. They're too rich for me.
1: They're always like infused with a flavor that I'm like, why did you need to mix this with chocolate?
0: This is how I feel about a truffle. If I get a Russell Stover box of candies, I want the caramels and the nuts, maybe a nougat. I don't want anything with a truffle middle.
1: I don't want anything goopy. I don't yeah. want any. I don't want anything that's like, ca- like caramel texture, but not caramel flavor. Mm-mm. Oh, see, I do like those. The strawberry ones. I Mm-mm. do like that. Absolutely <laughs> not. Fruit and chocolate, ne'er the Duane shall meet. Why have I said that phrase twice?
0: Today? Twice today. But you know what? This does prove to me, as what? we have been partners now for over four years
1: five years. Over five years.
0: Almost five years. Life is like a box of chocolates and we could split a box perfectly and have no arguments. That's true. Life is like a box of chocolates. I hate 75% of it. And I'll eat that 75%.
1: (laughs) Oh, right. That is all the time we have for this week's episode of Hysteria. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Jamie Manson, thank you so much for joining us and talking about your work with Catholics for Choice. Listeners, we love you. We love Love you so much. We're going to do some more listener shout-outs next week. If you want to get in touch, hysteria at crooked.com. Everybody on the production staff can read the email, so just be discerning with how personal you get because we can all see it and also uh, we might read it out loud (laughs) we might read it out loud that's true and if you and if you do send us something just sign off with the way that you would want us to recognize you on air so if you're like you know liz from wyoming for example uh just sign as liz from wyoming or if you want to go by liz cheney you can also sign or if you're liz's sister (laughs) or if you're liz's liz cheney's sister Virginia. Um, Thanks so much. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on IG, Twitter, and TikTok. Subscribe to Hysteria on YouTube for access to video versions of your favorite segments and other exclusive content. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a nice review. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Erin Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. We get audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach Ewa Okalate, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week.